Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast that hopes to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. As part of that, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm Matt Leach and I'm your host and on this episode I'm joined by the founder of ADR, Flynn Tracy, event and content producer at Adobe. Before I get into the guests for this episode, I want to thank Streamtime, our constant supporter who's always had our back. Streamtime's just not supporting us either. One of their own initiatives, Never Not Creative, started by the managing director, Andy Wright, is a community of creators working together to tackle a whole range of things from internships to mental health. If you haven't checked them out, go to nevernotcreative.org and you can see all the different ways they're trying to make the industry a better place to work. I've been working with Andy and NNC on Circles, a growth room focused on its members' health and well-being. We're just about to finish our six-month pilot of the program, and it's been incredibly successful for the people involved. Personally, I've got so much out of it, I can't recommend it enough. It's just once or twice a month getting together with a small group of creatives from all around Australia for a few hours, talking through the issues you're facing and going through a program that was developed by the Banksia Project. I can't believe it's just been six months. I feel like I know the people in my group so well now, in a way that you could never get through meeting them at industry events or even working alongside them. If you're interested in joining the next intake, keep your eye on nevernotcreative.org slash circles, and we'll be accepting expressions of interest in the next couple of weeks. All right, our guest for this episode is Joyce N. Ho, Associate Creative Director at Buck in New York. Now, this is a new position for Joyce. At the time of recording, she'd only been at Buck for six weeks. So we chat a little bit about how different it is from her freelancing gigs, of which she's best known for and has been doing in New York for nearly five years. Many people in Australia will know her from her time at Joseph Mark and Breeder in Brisbane, where she started as a junior designer and worked her way up to creative lead before leaving for New York. And we chat a little bit about this as well. If you had to describe what Joyce does, which is incredibly diverse, you'd probably settle on creative direction and motion design. But I'd suggest going and checking out her personal website, JoyceNHo.com, just to see the range of stuff she's been involved with. It's worth also checking out some of the work we talk about in this episode because her work is incredibly visual, and as you'd expect, it's not something that comes across that well in audio-only formats. So maybe pause this here and go and have a look at her work so you have it in your mind before jumping in. Okay, you back? You didn't go and look, did you? That's okay, I wouldn't have either. Okay, check it out after the episode. And before we get started, I just wanted to bring you up to speed with what's happening at ADR as well. This is our last episode in the original format. From the next episode, we're going to shift to a new style, where across three episodes and three guests, we're going to be answering a question that's posed by a guest co-host. The sorts of questions you can expect are what makes a great design teacher, or how to build a creative community, or how to get the client across the sustainability line, or what design can do to combat stigma. We're hoping that by tackling some of these questions, we might help move the conversations forward more. If you have a question that you think needs asking, get in touch. Come and co-host with us. Let's try and find some solutions together. Wow, I've just been talking and talking, so let's drop you into Joyce's conversation with myself and Flynn. I'm going to start by talking about something I messed up on because when I started researching you, I completely missed the N in the website address <laughs> uh-huh. and I ended up on this like betting site for football. That's random. <laughs> the reason why I have my middle initial is because there's a fine artist that's Joyce Ho 
and I wanted to like differentiate yeah. out search oh, <laughs> searches. Okay. So now all my official credits have my middle initial. That's that's purely why. <laughs> so we've got a fine artist and, and a yeah. betting search. <laughs> Apparently so, my cool. name's very common. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? The amount of artists that I've spoken to that have had to that have had to do that, like people that have rebranded or used their middle mm-hmm. name or even rearrange their surname or they go by their artist name like their whatever their instagram handle they could get they're like because they have a a common name you know it's not like super searchable it's such an interesting world that we live in where we need to do that sort of thing i know like it's just something we have to consider now (laughs) exactly so matt was talking about at the beginning of his research for everything but this was a long time ago we've actually been chatting about this since last year um trying to find some times with all of our schedules you know, we're doing this on a Sunday, a Saturday night. Like you're giving up your Saturday night for this for us. I'm away, you know, Matt's working <laughs> yeah, on Sunday. Um, so thank you so much. But um, when we originally reached out, you were freelancing. Um, mm-hmm. And then since that long time has passed, you're now uh, Associate Creative Director at Buck Creative Studio in LA, mm-hmm. New York, and also here in Sydney. Uh, quick shout out to Gareth O'Brien if he's listening. I know it's all pretty fresh, but can you tell us like a little bit about about that journey? Like, yeah, I know. To be honest, I I didn't expect it. It wasn't something I was seeking. Like, I I wasn't like now I want to have a full time job, and I was definitely open to the possibility when they came and they emailed me when Orion emailed me last August. So it was just a random email. <laughs> it was. He he just he just hit me up and was like, "Would you ever like just." have a conversation about joining the Buck team. And, you know, Buck is, has always been a really big inspiration or, well, you know, one of the big studios Mm. in motion design. Mm. And I just remember being in university and being super inspired by all the work that they, they were doing. And it definitely helped me like focus onto motion design going like, oh, Buck being one of the big studios, I would want to make some of like the caliber of that work one day. Right. <laughs> so I'm not working for any studios, but if these studios ask me, then maybe. Yes. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like everyone has one of those, like a list of favorite studios, right? And yeah. yeah, Buck was definitely on my list. So yeah, I was like, sure, let's have a conversation. And then one thing led to another and I joined I joined the team and I started working with them uh uh, just like over six weeks ago, so it's pretty, it's still so fairly fresh. new. It's pretty new, it's very yep. new. Yeah. So I want to I want to ask a question about that because you mm. know some people say don't meet your heroes. Yeah. And <laughs> obviously, like meeting meeting Buck, what was it that made you say, okay, this is the right thing to do? A whole bunch of reasons. Um, firstly, I felt like like I did definitely did my due diligence, right? I, I had a few right. friends who worked at Buck already. And so I basically was like, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's your experience? Do you love it? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And I only heard great things. And that was definitely a tick in, in the pro list, right? Because everyone yeah. was just like, it's amazing. I feel like I'm growing as an artist and it's just amazing to like work with all amazing all the talented people who who work there um and then secondly i like as a freelancer i felt like i had all these like awesome opportunities to lead projects but they were definitely rare in the freelance world and uh, most of my jobs were were working as a art director or a designer and i felt like i wanted to seek out more opportunities to direct Mm. and so 
I felt like, yeah, joining Buck, I would get more of those opportunities and like lead more projects and to grow my skills as a director. So those were the two things, like hearing yeah. hearing all the great things about my like friends who work there, and then secondly, a chance to you know work with the best people and also like grow as an artist. Wow, yeah. that is a massive thing, and I've I've heard that quite often. Just that I guess that idea when you're a freelancer, you have to find those people yourself. You have to find those skilled people mm-hmm. to work with. But then, yeah, I guess the opportunity of having a place where you could go where those people already are. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's just been really, really crazy to like, you know, be on Slack channels and to like, you know, go through the names and like recognize yeah. all these people <laughs> that you like, like admire and like follow on Instagram. It's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Is there anything you miss from, from the freelancing side of things? Not anything yet, to Not be honest. Yet. Like there's <laughs> been a lot of things where I've like, I'm glad I don't have to deal with anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like now I don't, I don't have like, 15 emails to answer every day and right you know like all of that side of managing your own schedule and like all of that kind of stuff which i don't really enjoy to be honest the side of freelancing um i don't have to do anymore which is great (laughs) yeah i have someone to do that for me yeah i have producers and stuff (laughs) that i can lean on so it's awesome what so six weeks you said yeah i think I i started late january but I did notice on your LinkedIn that JoyceNho.com is still present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that because you still have like other stuff going on, like private gigs going on? Yeah, yeah. I still have uh, one freelance job that hasn't wrapped up, which I've been doing yeah. on the weekends and um, whenever I have free time. You know, I I think I'm also open to to more opportunities outside of work. So I've just kept that open as like, if the right project fits, you know, my full-time schedule, I'd still be happy to take it on kind of thing. Yeah. And I think em- employers are becoming much more open to that mm-hmm. kind of stuff as well, which is awesome because we were just talking before we started recording just that idea, like some of the gigs I've got recently have been off the other stuff I do outside of my mm-hmm, full-time mm-hmm. job. I'm assuming Buck is open to it. Yeah, <laughs> totally open to it. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're really flexible and they give a lot of autonomy to everyone like who works there. So, yeah. And are you, and so at the, at the moment, like with everything, like obviously happening globally and in America and everything, are you physically able to go in and hang out at the studio or is it still all fully remote? What's the, it's, what's the data? It's 100%, there? 100% remote, which yeah. is, it's kind of, definitely kind of odd to start a new job. Yeah. Um, where yeah. you haven't met any of your coworkers yeah. <laughs> uh, and everything's on like Google Hangouts and yeah, like my first week was kind of weird because, you know, when you're new Imagine. new to a job, you, you want to like meet a lot of people and a lot of those like casual yeah. conversations to get to know someone that happens really naturally and like, you know, like you go have lunch with someone and like you just become friends. Mm. But yeah, I yeah. had to like schedule in time to have like <laughs> Google Hangouts with people one on one. So that that felt a little bit weird because it was so intentional rather than casual. Right. Yeah. Do you think when you are able to go back in, do you think it's going to be easier to work with people because you've built up this kind of, I guess you've had a soft launch? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> I hope <laughs> it's like a big reunion, right? Or like meeting your internet friends for the first yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> it does remind me a lot about like you meet people, you know, from the industry or something that you only follow online and then you see them at a conference and you're like, oh, hey, like I recognize your avatar. We chat yeah. like all the time. It's a little bit like that, but mm-hmm. work related now. 
Yeah, totally. I hope we just like all have a big group hug. That's yeah, that'd be nice. yeah. <laughs> but you have to check everyone's be vaccinated first. That's right. <laughs> yes. To... I want to hear a lot about New York and. But before we jump into that, I just want to get the timelines correct. So born in Hong Kong, moved to Australia, studied at Brisbane at QUT. Mm-hmm. You got your first job at Jesse Mark and Breeder mm-hmm. until around mid-2016. And then you moved to New York. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Like, I'm interested in, like, I guess the why. Yeah. yeah so I think, have you guys been to New York? Yeah. As, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you probably know the feeling of, like, coming, getting, getting to the city and being like, wow, this is, wow. like, like yeah. exactly this and better real. than I had ever imagined the city would be, right? Yeah. Um, so I came as a tourist in my early 20s and just had that moment of like, this city is amazing and I want to live here one day. And when I went back to Australia, I guess that feeling just kind of never left me. Like it was always yeah. in the back of my mind going like, oh, one day I really want to like get to New York. And mm. I think because it just kept popping up, I was like, maybe I should just try and like figure out what the visa's like and the visa process is it's not easy they don't make it easy like at all Mm -hmm. um so it it actually took me a few years after i made the like choice i was like yep i'm gonna make it happen but it it took me another like two or three years to actually get the visa (laughs) to to come over yeah by the time i came over it was like 2016. <laughs> so, so you, were, you were still working at breeder at that point yeah yeah so i i worked at breeder for almost seven years like six ish years wow. yeah. um and it was the first job that i had right after uni i i owed that job a lot to um to figure out you know my strengths and weaknesses as a designer and to figure out you know, how to work at a studio and how to collaborate with people and how to pitch and all of those things that you you don't get to learn in uni. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely learned a lot on that job and it gave me a lot of projects that allowed me to, to come over here and freelance. And you've had a unique perspective because you've been in New York before lockdown mm-hmm. and now during lockdown. And what's, what's the major difference on it? I guess I'm coming this from... From an outsider's point of view, uh, I guess New York has always been the, like the mecca of, of design and you know the, the collaboration that happens there and the kind of creative uh, groups that are there feels like it's like a, just a real hotbed mm-hmm. for stuff. And I imagine that's changed pretty massively in the lockdown. Yeah, it's changed, it's changed a lot. Like I have, I have faith that New York will bounce back after things get, can go back to normal. But it has been hard for a, for a lot of businesses here. Um, you walk down the street and like half of the you know places aren't open and um, mm-hmm. half of the places have gone out of business, especially like in the food and hospitality industry. It's been really, really tough in that mm-hmm. in that area. Like from what I hear from friends who've lived through like Hurricane Sandy and all of those things that have also hit New York or affected it in a big way. New York always seems to come back when things can get back to normal. So I think I think there's like a resilience here and there's still like, you know, amazing people who live here who will kind of help it back to probably won't be the same as it was before, but, you know, a version of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about, you know, some of the, the food place and everything. Like, what's the most thing you're looking forward to? Like, is it going is it going out like and eating with your friends? Is Is it... Is it work-related stuff? Like, what what's, like, the thing that everyone's, like, 
just can't wait to be able to do. For me, I think it's just like the little things that I've missed, like like eating indoors, which is (laughs) I haven't been able to do in like a year. Like it's like in the middle of winter right now and people still have to eat outdoors in the cold. Mm. So yeah, this just like tiny little things like that. And I don't know, go and see live music. Like Mm. I miss that so much. (laughs) And just like house parties and hanging out with friends and not like being able to hug people like oh my gosh yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely miss that we're definitely well we feel like fingers crossed through the worst over here but we're still like everything kind of like still remains like we i went out to dinner with my wife last night we sat inside Mm. and it felt weird like it it definitely was like oh we're sitting inside and you know but we've been able to do that for a while and hugging it's like you you always say hello to people and it's like hi and then you like Oh, should we? No. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Totally. And I have so many friends in Australia who are like, you know, posting things that are like relatively normal. And I'm like, damn, I can't, I miss that. And I get to see them from afar, like having dinner indoors. And I I wish we could do that here. (laughs) A lot of people are talking about like, there are some good things that have come about from this because we've been forced to work in a different way and do things differently. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that, that is a good thing that you're going to keep a hold of? I definitely think the swing into like working remotely will have changed like every facet of like working yeah. and it's really opened up like the possibility of like not having to live in like a New York, you know, city mm. and still be able to work with like cool people on cool projects. So I think that's definitely yeah. a good thing that's come out of this pandemic is that, yeah, remote work is now the thing that everyone can do or like most people what in design anyway. Mm. Yeah, so I feel lucky yeah. that like, you know, I work in, in an industry that allows for that and hasn't, that, you know, still supports that and we can still work collaboratively, yeah. Before we move on this, from this section, I wanted to bring up the uh, word form article that you did about fear. Mm-hmm. Which is and shout out to Wordform, they're awesome. Yeah, and and Jack from Motherbird. You said something that really resonated with me, and you you talked about this idea of like asking yourself what if questions, Mm -hmm. and you had on there like what if I move to New York and can't get a job or all that kind of stuff. And I find that like the what if questions are really effective. Mm -hmm. What if this happened? Like you know, and almost imagine the worst possible thing that could happen, and then and then you're almost like it gets rid of the anxiety Mm -hmm. slightly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something I actually do on like client jobs or just like things in my life. Like I like yeah. to think it's kind of dark, but like I like to think of the worst case scenario. <laughs> and like if if I think of the worst case scenario and it doesn't seem as, you know, scary as I thought it would be, mm. I'm like, oh, you know, I could actually handle that or you know, there's a way out of that if that actually happens. It kind of helps me, like, settle me and, like, make me less anxious yeah. about something. Is it the same for you, Matt? Yeah, Yeah, no, it totally is. It's actually, I'm really into my Stoic philosophy, mm-hmm. and it's actually part of the philosophy is you, in order to appreciate what you have more, you kind of imagine bad mm-hmm. things happening. Yeah. So then you can you can go, oh, well, you know, this is pretty good, Yeah, actually. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I should start doing it. I never do that. You guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like a good idea. Okay, we want to talk about some of your projects because, frankly, they're amazing. Uh, but before we get into that, I was reading on Working Not Working recently that they described your work as frequently gravitating towards a dark divide, <laughs> which I think is something you actually yeah. said in a different interview when, when you got the Young Gun 17. Mm-hmm. And in that interview, you kind of brushed it off and you said, oh, you know, 
it's probably just because I like black. Um, and and I, know, I notice you're wearing yes. your black <laughs> But I wanted to dig more into that mm. because I, I feel like it's more than the colors you use because I think it was also down to like, you know, the music you choose and even some of your animation, I guess, style mm. has this kind of, it's not completely dark, but there's a, a melancholy to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> I think I think if we had to dive into why I like this, I think it probably goes hand in hand with, I don't know, I resonate with things that affect me on a, a more emotional level, I think. Yep. And so when I really dive into like my favorite movies and what kind of like music I like, it's always the ones that are like quote unquote emo right? (laughs) or like sad movies or like um, tragic things. So I don't, I just don't, I don't know why I like gravitate towards like that kind of um, stuff, but I think, I think it's the emotional like impact, right? If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does totally. I mean, and I was thinking about the music you choose because like some of the music tracks you've, you've chosen are just amazing. How, how do you choose music like that? Because, it's, it's quite often I'll look at, well, if, I, if I'm doing anything in that kind of space, I feel like I spend way too long trying to find the perfect mm-hmm. track. Mm-hmm. I, I work with really amazing musicians and sound designers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where I can just like write a treatment and be like, you know, this is, this is the story I want to tell and this is the feeling I want to get across. Mm-hmm. And I might sometimes put in some tracks that I feel like might fit and then let them roll with it and they always they always come back with something amazing (laughs) so i I definitely it's a it's a props to to my collaborators for sure nice well maybe we should talk about some specific projects because like Mm -hmm. i mean everything you've done has like incredible sound to it so the first one i really wanted to talk about was the one that really like sort of i guess brought your work to my attention which was the semi-permanent 2018 titles and interstitials Mm -hmm. and i mean maybe it's just because like you know, semi-permanent's always been part of my life and, you know, mm-hmm. I it was in, very much in events at the time or something, but they really blew me away. Like, they're incredible. Oh, thank you. And everyone needs to go watch them immediately if they haven't seen them. I was very sad that I didn't get to physically see them. I didn't. I wasn't present at 2018. I was working in the background. Mm-hmm. But it um, would have been lovely to see everything live. But I saw everything online and um, there was a bit of a background around the creation of it and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I guess the real question I wanted to kind of ask around that is what was it like collaborating? So you're collaborating with like, you know, semi-permanent Sydney, you know, studio here, you're over in New York freelancing. Like how does, how does that whole thing work? Like storyboarding from, you know, to delivering these enormous files with amazing music. Like, can you give us a bit of a snapshot? Yeah, like, look at for that. For sure. What was really great about that project was collaboration was like at the core of the brief as well. So when Mori wanted me to do the titles, he thought like, how do we craft, how do we make these titles, but have collaboration be this, the focal point. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted me to like basically curate my own dream team and get, get them on board mm-hmm. to like make make these titles together. And yeah, it was it was an, it was really cool experience for sure because I basically just contacted people that I wanted to work with, nice, and had you know followed from afar and just hadn't find that found the right opportunity to do so, and 
I yeah, I worked with a team of uh, 10, 10 designers and it was it was definitely a hectic project mm. to, to be honest yeah. because I had never like worked on uh, a completely remote project with 10 other people before yeah and to lead them to create like one cohesive job. So it was a lot of like figuring out how to, how to how, what the workflow was and how do we actually do this? And then this was like pre, you know, pre-pandemic as well when things yeah. went <laughs> things went as like remote as so to speak. Yeah, we're all so kind of set up for that now because we have yeah, to, we had yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so we used our Dropbox mainly. Um, yeah. That was one of our uh, sponsors. So Dropbox and Slack was the main thing. Yeah, cool. And when you say 10 designers, are these like 10 designers working in a studio together or are these separate humans? Like Separate humans yeah. all around the wow. world. Um, I think there was one designer in Shanghai, um, in Brighton in the UK, and then Portugal and wow. uh, Toronto. Like a truly global <laughs> yeah. like collaborative effort to get all that. Yeah. To get all that completed yeah. and done. And then I guess mm-hmm. like in terms of the, the process, is it, you know, are you are you directing the whole thing in terms of this is this is what we need split into kind of essentially you know are we are you splitting it into ten different sections and each kind of designer is it tackling a section or is everybody have their own speciality for the entire project? Like I'm very curious to hear mm-hmm. about that how that works. Yeah, so that was that was a fun puzzle to figure out <laughs> right. on my end because after I had my idea for it, which was also hard to figure out because I needed to figure I needed to think of an idea that allowed collaboration but still had a few restrictions Mm. for us to to play in because I wanted the titles to feel cohesive and that was the main thing like I didn't want separate um, styles or things that felt like it was stitched together Mm. so that was my main focus and once I figured it out it was more about like who who has the right skills to kind of bring it to life and um, I really tried to to at least pair designers together. Mm-hmm. There were a few shots where like two designers worked on it together. Either you know someone did the the textures and then incorporated the textures in their animation, or maybe someone started the the design and then um, someone else stitched it together. And then I had one one team doing all of the type that happened all over the top. I tried to like not make it too complicated but still have you know collaboration being the thing yeah 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 it would have been a fine line to walk along there mm-hmm, um definitely and it, you know it's very kind of abstract it's like abstract kind of fractals and any and everything like where did that where did that come from and again you it, this is a podcast so you guys have to go watch <laughs> have to watch the interstitials <laughs> if you haven't seen them so it makes sense but yeah where did that yeah. original kind of like you know the concept mm-hmm. part come from the theme of semi-permanent that year was creative tension and Mari, the founder of Semi Permanent, wanted the titles to speak to that in some way. And he, we had a really amazing like initial call, and he kind of spoke through things that he relate related to creative tension, and that really helped me form this like narrative of a microorganism from birth to death, mm. and using mm. that as a like visual metaphor of the creative tension that we we feel through creation of something it's it's very it's very conceptual yeah. <laughs> but i i like i like to work and by finding a story to tell 
Mm. Um, even mm. if it feels really abstract, there's still elements of like a beginning, a middle, and end. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I wanted to ask about your your conceptual kind of because is it your film Resonance mm-hmm. was was the one all about the um uh, the rings of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in that kind of the start of a, of a project because it feels like you go really heavily into research mm-hmm. and almost get lost in it sort of thing. And then, and then that's where you find the, the nugget exactly, that you want to kind of take exactly. forward. Yeah. Typically I have like a eureka moment, like where, right. um, like I have an idea of where I want to go and I haven't figured it out quite yet, but then I either read something or I see a picture or just something that's like, okay, this is, this is it. And then yeah. it kind of quickly forms after that. But like, sometimes it takes me a while to get to that moment. And semi-permanent was definitely one of those projects where I really had to work at it. <laughs> How do you build that into, I guess, a quote? It's like, do you, do you give yourself a certain amount of time? Yes, yes. I Like, if I'm directing a project, I set myself milestones and uh basically a schedule for myself and like little mini deadlines and you know hope i hit those milestones to (laughs) to stay on track (laughs) was there any extra pressure to add like you know have this quite high concept sort of thing when it's something like semi-permanent considering the audience is designers right like quite Mm -hmm. you know is is there any sort of different sense of thought because of who the audience is and where they're going to see it and everything like that does that come into your your mind you're like this is going to be like high concept that people like (laughs) For sure, for sure. Like any any type of project that I, I work on, I definitely take into account like who is gonna watch it. But I think for Semi Permanent, it was more just just my 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 standards, and yeah. I, I knew that this was like gonna be a high profile job in, in general, and I really wanted to like challenge myself and then really push it. It's not the only high profile. Like I would say, like yes, it's a high profile job in I guess design circles, but then if you think about the stuff you've done for Riot Games, <laughs> like that is seen on like such a massive scale yeah is that scary when when it's that sort of scale you're like oh my god like i can't even tell how many people (laughs) i i try not to think about it to be honest (laughs) (laughs) especially for riot because i i don't know how many millions of people would would have eyeballs on on millions and millions of (laughs) sweaty nerds like me will be watching all this stuff all the time yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, to put it in context, I guess that's kind of the next project we really wanted to talk about and we can talk about the two together, but yeah, it is, it is working for Riot. So something that's really close to my heart is, is gaming and to see that you've like worked with one of the biggest names in the business, Riot Games, one of the leading game developers behind like League of Legends. So you worked on the creative directing and designing for the logo animations, for like the broadcast, I think I've got it down here, broadcasting and the video um, to launch the brand. League of Legend esports, and for those that don't know, it's one of the biggest esports on the planet, if not the biggest esport on the planet. Most most lucrative, I think it is. Like that's like the gold standard. Like it's pretty wild. Like how did how does that how does that come about as a as a single freelance person, you know, working for themselves? This is because this is like the sort of thing that you would hear. This is some this is something I would expect someone like Buck to get because of because of the big brand recognition because of this. And I'm using air quotes again on a podcast, so, you, you know, I'm sorry about that. But the trust, because, oh, it's a, we're a big institution, we need to get a big institution here. But that hasn't mm-hmm. happened with you. The, my question in there is, yeah, how does that sort of project come about for something that's, I mean, it's it's an enormous brand and project? That project came about because I was actually recommended by a friend who is super talented and he couldn't 
take on the job because he was completely booked. Yeah. And he put my awesome yeah, awesome thanks. friend. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jordan Scott there. <laughs> um, he yeah, he was like couldn't take the job and then put my name forward. And I think I think for Riot they actually work with a lot of like you know independent directors right. and smaller studios quite regularly. Mm. And I'm not quite sure why that is from their side, but that's definitely their. They, they tend to actually do that rather than a big studio. Mm. Um, I had to submit a pitch for the job and it, yeah, it definitely, I, even when I was putting it together, I was like, wow, this is actually a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, I'm stoked that, you know, they liked what I put together in my vision for, for their logo launch. So um, it was a really, really fun project to, to work on because Riot is very trusting of the, the designers that they mm. work with. So one of the best clients and easiest clients I've ever had. Wow, wow there you really? go. Yeah, yeah. You, you would sometimes expect, you know, when they're that big and they've got that many eyes on them, that yep. they can be almost a little bit micromanaging. Yeah, but they're not. They're just super chill and they, like, you know, trust the expertise of the people they work with. And so, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed working with them. And you... You also got to work on a second thing with them, didn't you? The um, what's the shooter game? Flynn, help me with the name. <laughs> Valorant. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They obviously like what you do with, like you say, they were a good client to work with. It was obviously like a really good working relationship because you know they asked asked you to come back. Valorant again, like a massive, showing how nerdy I am, but like is a ma- you know it was a massive shooter and a massive entry into the the genre, and um, you know it was really successful as well. Like, is there any sort of any particular insights that you might have into how like how do you retain a client like that like um i guess just in terms of they've obviously come back to you they love what you did obviously the work speaks for itself but you know we'll hear we'll hear from people say you know you know under promise and over deliver or they might have some sort of methodology is there anything that you think about when you're working with these clients in terms of developing the relationship or maintaining it (laughs) that's a really good question there isn't anything that i do like actively or like I try to do right. for every client. I think I think what helps is just like authenticity to be mm. honest and just like being interested in their in their work and in in the project and in their company and trying to form a just like a friendly not like I I, I don't know, you know it's hard to expect you to be friends with your clients but at least like a friendly repertoire like repertoire and mm. to you know, when you get on client calls to have, you have that little chat to kind of like, you know, <laughs> don't just think about work, just to try to be friendly. I think that that really helps in a small way, you know, if mm. they like you as a person, they enjoy the process, right? And um, just the little things like that, I think helps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, I guess the other one that I really wanted to talk about was Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think it, I was talking to Matt about this um, beforehand when we we're getting everything set up, and I said what was really funny about Joyce is that I've had I've, we've had you on our list to talk to for quite a long time, but then you kept coming up, and so I was watching Patriot Act, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, I wonder who did the set design and all the animations for this because this is like cool. And I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, it's Joyce again. I really have to reach out. I really have to reach out to her. This is getting out of control. Um, but uh, again, for those who haven't seen it. Go check, go check it out. And you can see very, very quickly that a big part of what makes that incredibly engaging and quite ambitious compared to other things that I've seen in terms of like stand up and presentation style, like you might, you think of the presentation, they could have easily done 
like a John Oliver kind of, here's me sitting at a desk with a 16 by nine screen behind me. But this is like a fully immersive experience that they clearly spent yeah. a lot of time and energy and, and money um, to make it as engaging as possible. So I guess my questions are around designing for that three-dimensional space must have been quite a challenge. So is there anything you can talk to us about that, like in terms of that project? Because yeah. I was like, what? How do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny you mentioned John Oliver because he was actually across the street from All right. All right. stage for Patriot Act. So <laughs> Patriot Act is one of my favorite projects and mm. it was also definitely one of my most challenging jobs I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I... I only worked on volume three, um, which was six six episodes. Mm-hmm. That was that was super super intense, and I worked as the um, design director for for that um, season or cycle, as they call it. Mm. I'd never worked on anything remotely <laughs> like that wow. before. Having to you know do it for a giant stage that you get to stand on and for a Netflix show that films every week. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for the design is you have to consider a lot of elements when you design for a stage like that. Like you have to think about where Hassan is going to stand in relation to, you know, the cue of the script. You also have to think about what kind of camera the the show director is going to use. Like Mm. he might be thinking it's, it's going to be a close-up of Hassan mm. and you might only see like the torso. And so you really have to figure out like what is the graphics behind him that won't, that won't like detract, uh, distract yeah. the audience from his delivery of the line. Mm. Um, and sometimes we'll, we would have to move or swap out things that were just competing with with the framing of the camera, mm. yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot, especially if you um, also think about the floor. The floor was also yeah. part yeah. of the stage, yeah. <laughs> so the floor was a very very tricky um, design challenge to solve because you you couldn't have like big words on it. You couldn't have like really fine detail. So what we've kind of discovered really works was just like patterns really worked well right for the floor because they were bold and like graphic and they they read really well when the when the um when you saw the whole stage so these were things that you just kind of have to trial and error and luckily there was like two cycles before me who could tell me some of these tips so you had some learnings Um, from the previous cycles which is helpful yeah yeah because imagine (laughs) imagine with a week turnaround it's like it's not there's not a lot of time to make mistakes is there no no there really isn't because the uh, rehearsals on tuesday nights and then the taping was on wednesday nights with the with the audience and that's like the hardest deadline (laughs) you could ever have right (laughs) (laughs) like you had to have it by this time on wednesday or you know the show is gonna be filmed without it yeah Wow, incredible. Yeah. So was that was was that was that you guys kind of doing the doing the practice run and everything and then going actually we need to change this. That graphics really challenging. That that's clashing yeah. with when he's going to yeah. deliver that joke. They're going to zoom in on that angle and that looks like exactly. it looks like that word spells something else now, yeah. so we have to take that out totally. all that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And then you had to consider all the script rewrites that would happen yep. on of the course. fly. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot there was a so, lot. <laughs> so you just don't you don't sleep that day, yeah? So Tuesday night is just no sleep and then it's 
it's a it's a few late nights especially if i'm um episode lead so there's two episode leads per volume mm-hmm. and we kind of like hopscotch so Yusuf, who was the other one, would do one, and then I would do the week after. So, like, ideally it would be I would prep the week in advance before the team gets switched over to my episode. Mm. But that didn't always happen because scripts come in late. (laughs) So, Mm. yeah, a few late nights, and sometimes we would have to work on a Sunday. Yeah, it was pretty I imagine there's a great team bonding that happens there and a kind of almost an energy built into it because you are heading up against that really harsh deadline for sure like i think also we all felt like we were using design to tell really important stories Mm. um that really needed to be told and to and that i think really helps with our motivation because we weren't selling a product Mm. we weren't like doing an ad it was purely for storytelling and to tell like really like things that people needed to, to know about so i think that definitely helped that's brilliant. Nice one. That brings us to the end. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> so quick, hey? Awesome. <laughs> Where can people find out more about what you're doing? Um, I Well, you can check out my site or follow me on Instagram. Just make sure you put the, put the N <laughs> in. Or, yeah, just make sure you put the N in. Thanks, thanks for having me. Always always cool to, to do a podcast. I like doing them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've yeah. got the whole setup, so um, big thanks to thanks to your partner for <laughs> um, setting you up in his sound studio. You sound amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> and thanks for everything as well. Like, thank I'm glad we could finally do this, and um, it's really lovely to to you know chat with you. And and thanks for sharing um, so many of those insights on your projects and and you know everything so far. Um, I'm sure the audience is going to really love it. Oh, thanks so much for having and, me. It was really good to and meet good you. And good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck at yeah. Thanks. I hope it. I hope the first six weeks is an indication of how good it's going to be for you going forward. I think so. I think so. Yeah. They've got me on some cool projects already, so I'm stoked. Oh, nice. <laughs> tell us, tell us. <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll be released when, when they're done, yeah. later in the year. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. So you can follow the show at AUS Design Radio on pretty much everything. Um, and you can follow me at Flynn Tracy on also pretty much everything. Matt, where can people find you? Uh, I'm hanging, I'm lurking on Twitter at Leachworth. Right. Okay, great. And of course, follow follow Joyce, check out her work, um, check out some of the projects we mentioned. We'll put those in um, the show notes as well. So if you wanted to have a quick little look over to all of the projects we spoke about, um, we'll send some links there. Thank you so much, Joyce. It's been great hanging out with you. Yay. Thanks, Joyce. Thanks so much for having me. 